The other night, my husband and I were um, watching the national news, and um, he said, Susan, he said, you know, <clears throat> one of the things that I find very interesting in what's going on in the world right now is that God seems to have given our leaders over to foolishness. And he said, have you noticed um, how many of them are making very unwise decisions? I mean, you just can't even believe what is happening in our world right now and decisions that are being made by our leaders. And I heartily agreed with him, and I said, I agree. I just can't believe some of the things that are going on right now. But I began to think about the Church of Jesus Christ. And I thought, you know, I've rubbed shoulders with a lot of Christians that I also think lack wisdom. They don't have wisdom to make wise choices. They make foolish choices. When we think about it, the word has a lot to say about wisdom, doesn't it? I quoted a verse in my prayer a while ago. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise instruction. Proverbs also says wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Also says wisdom is better than rubies. Have you thought about that? Those who have July birthdays. Wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that you might desire cannot be compared with wisdom. Also, Proverbs says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Here's a verse all of us as women should know. Proverbs 31, 26, about the virtuous woman. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Now, Proverbs is not the only book that talks about wisdom. Remember in our introductory lesson on James, we brought out then that James is a piece of what? wisdom literature. It's full of wisdom. It's the Proverbs of the New Testament. It is very practical. And we had hardly got our foot in the epistle of James when we came to a passage. Remember when you're going through a trial? If any of you, what, lack wisdom during a trial, you are to ask God and he will give. What? Liberally and without reproaching you. He doesn't call you an idiot. He gives liberal and he does it with gentleness. And now this evening we come to a second portion in James regarding wisdom. And James asks and answers a question for us this evening that is very vital. And I'm really sorry for the ladies that aren't here this evening because I think this is a very key lesson. And the question is this, how can you know if the wisdom that you possess comes from God or from the world? Now, when you first looked at these verses in chapter 3, and we will finish chapter 3 this evening, Lord willing, and the lights stay on. When you first looked at this, you probably thought, wait a minute, this seems very disconnected. How come we've had two lessons on the tongue, and now he's shifting to talking about wisdom? Well, think with me very carefully. We saw that our tongue is what? It's in our mouth. It is surrounded by our teeth and by our lips, right? What causes it to escape? I mean, this week when you lost, when you said things with your mouth you shouldn't say, what causes your tongue to do that? Is it intelligence? No, you all are very intelligent. You bought me Starbucks card. You're very intelligent. It's a lack of what? Wisdom. It's a lack of discernment. James has been talking about the importance of having responsible speech, and now he's going to elaborate that wisdom enables us to speak responsibly. Ladies, I can guarantee you this evening, if you are not a lady who is wise, you are also a lady who does not have proper speech. If you are a woman tonight who is full of wisdom, 
I can imagine that your speech is also as God would have it to be. James is not changing the subject at all because a woman who has heavenly wisdom will have godly speech. That's why he asked in verse 13, if you would look with me, who is wise and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good life his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonical. For where envy and strife are, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in them by the them that make peace. Now, we have a threefold outline this evening. First of all, we're going to see the characteristics of the wise. The characteristics of the wise in one verse, verse 13 Then we're going to see the characteristics of demonic wisdom. And I pray none of you will fall under that category. The characteristics of demonic wisdom in verses 14 through 16. And then lastly this evening, we're going to see the characteristics of divine wisdom in verses 17 to 18. So we have the characteristics of the wise, characteristics of demonic wisdom, and then lastly, the characteristics of divine wisdom. First of all, let's look at the characteristics of the wise. Notice what James says, who is wise and understanding among you? It's interesting because because this question is posed in reference to public speaking. Remember how James started the chapter, my brethren, be not many teachers. And then he started expounding on the speech, you know, saying, hey, if you're a teacher, you better have your mouth under control. But then he says, "Uh, you're not off the hook. This says you're not a teacher because you all we all stumble in many ways. And so the question here is, who is wise? Those among you that are wise and understanding, James is saying, should be the ones chosen for the office of teacher. Ladies, you might say, well, good, that only applies to Susan. No, it doesn't, because we're all teachers, right? We are all teachers in one way or another because we all give advice and we all use our mouth, right? You teach your children, you teach your husband, or you'd like to teach your husband, We all give advice. Therefore, we need wisdom before we speak. So since we're going to be talking about wisdom this evening, I want to define what is wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, the Greek word is sophos, and it's a characteristic that describes an individual who possesses moral insight and skill in deciding practical issues of conduct. Let Let me say that again. This is a woman... She possesses moral insight and skill in deciding practical issues of conduct. And ladies, this sophist wisdom can only come from God. It doesn't come from an encyclopedia. It only can come from God. In fact, the phrase wise man here describes the person who possesses wisdom and who can be a resource for instructing others. Ladies, if you are wise this evening, you have a lot of discernment and you understand, you have underlying understanding of principles of life. Now, not only should we possess wisdom, but notice what else James says, understanding. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, what does this word understanding mean? Well, this is the only time that this word is used in the New Testament, and it refers to a specialist 
who is able to apply his fuller knowledge to practical situations. That's what it means to have understanding. In other words, she can put wisdom into practice. Have you ever met anyone like that? They're wise, and they know how to put wisdom into practice. This is a woman. She sees the big picture. She knows how to get things done. In fact, when you combine these two words, wisdom and understanding, this describes a person who is a reliable guide to others. This is a person who possesses wisdom and understanding, and they are a reliable guide to others. Now, you might say, well, that's good. Yes, it is. But ladies, there's something that has to be accompanied with wisdom and understanding. Notice what James says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show what? Out of a good life, his works with the meekness of wisdom. You know what James is saying? Don't just think wisdom and understanding is all you need. Ladies, it has to be backed up by a moral, upright life. In fact, the word show there, let him show it in the Greek means, we might say show and tell. You know, you say you have wisdom. Let me see it. Show and tell. Wisdom is not measured by degrees, but by deeds. That's how wisdom is measured. And James says the wise should show her works, her acts of righteousness. Ladies, if you are wise, and I hope that all of you possess wisdom this evening, do you know how it will show itself? In a holy life, a changed life, it's a product of your new life in Christ. Your life will show good works, not just once in a while, but your whole life will be characteristic of good works. Why? Because of the change that has taken place in your heart. James says, who's wise? Who's endued with understanding? Well, let him show it. Out of a good life, an upright life, his works. Now I want to stop here. I have seen a lot of men and I've seen a lot of women who possess ability to teach. They have wisdom. They seem to have some wisdom. They seem to have some understanding, but they don't have an upright life. You get to know them a little bit. They're immoral. Ladies, this greatly concerns me because we have lost our passion for holiness. We have lost our passion to be separate from this world. We, we, are, we love the world. We don't love holiness. Ladies, I would be very careful about sitting under the teaching of someone who might seem to be wise. They might seem to know how to explain scripture to you. But if their life, you get to know them, and they don't leave an, lead, lead an upright and holy life, I wouldn't sit under their teaching. Because combined with wisdom and discernment, there must be, James says, an upright and a holy life. You know what's going to happen to those men and those women? They will receive a stricter judgment from God, right? As we already found in James 3.1. My brethren, don't be many teachers. Why? You're going to receive a stricter judgment. And believe me, I'm aware of that. Every time I get up to teach, it scares me to death. Debbie says, how do you do that? Aren't you convicted? I said, yes, every time I'm convicted. And I realize I have to toe the line because I will stand before God and give an account for how I live my life. Now, let me say also this. These good works that teachers or any of us do shouldn't just be religious outward shows because Jesus condemns that, right? That's what, that was the problem with the hypocrites. Outwardly, they appeared great. I mean, they were doing everything, right? But inwardly what? 
They were full of deceit and dead men's bones. So that's a warning to us. Now, notice how these works should be performed. Notice what James says, with harshness, unkindness, no, meekness, meekness of wisdom. Ladies, everything that you do in life, the decisions that you make that I hope are wise, and we're going to teach, I'm going to teach you a little bit from the text here how to know that you're making wise decisions. All those things that you do as you lead your upright, holy, godly, separated life should be done in a spirit of meekness, gentleness. That's how your life should be conducted. Our Lord was gentle, wasn't he? Isaiah tells, him, tells about him, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Jesus says about himself, come unto me, all you are, who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am what? Meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I want to describe what, what meekness is. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not passivity. Meekness is strength under control. Remember Moses? He was the meekest man in the world, right? That's what God said about him. Was he weak? Was he a wimp? No. He had to lead the children of Israel out, right? He was meek. He was had strength under control. Ladies, a person who is meek is not arrogant, they do not have to fight for their rights, but their life is characterized by modesty. They are meek. Paul says we are to speak evil of no one. We're to be peaceable, gentle, showing all meekness to all men. Paul also says a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all men, able to teach, patient in meekness, correcting those who are in opposition. When you're confronting a brother or sister who's in sin, Paul says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Meekness. I was talking to someone today about someone they're trying to help, and I said, you know, it's, it's, how, it's in the spirit that you do it. You don't just go and say, you know what? I saw you the other day, and you were sinning. I've just about had enough of you. That's not a spirit of meekness. You consider yourself, you know, I, I saw something the other day, and I just wanted to share my heart with you, and, you know, let's talk about this. In a spirit of meekness. In fact, you know, as a wife, that's a quality you're to have. You're not to be adorned with our braiding of, you know, we went over this in First Peter, braiding your hair in apparel of gold, but what? You're to have a meek and quiet spirit. You might say, well, am I not supposed to talk? No. Meekness is strength under control. Your husband doesn't want a mouse for a wife. He doesn't want a nag either, but he wants a woman who's strong, but that strength is under control. Ladies, everything that we are to do should be conducted in meekness. So, what are the characteristics of the wise? They possess wisdom, and it's manifested by a holy, upright life conducted in meekness. Does that describe you? Do you have wisdom that is manifested by a holy, upright life conducted in meekness? Well, what happens if your wisdom is not expressed in meekness? Notice what James says as we start verse 14, and we see the characteristics of demonic wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not, do not lie against the truth. 
Apparently there were some in James' day, just there, there are some in our day, and I think they are growing by leaps and bounds, who misused their knowledge and they let it become a basis for self-glorification. How great I am, how great I am. You know, I'll never forget when Charles was at Master's College, he decided to go to Robert Schuler's church, and he called us one Sunday, and he said, you know what song we sang today in church? And I said, what? And he said, how great we are. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, we sang how great we are. And I was like, oh, my goodness, and you're still standing? Now, he didn't sing that, but that's what the congregation was singing. James says, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, don't glory, don't lie against the truth. Evidently, some had bitter envy, which means they possessed harsh zeal, selfish ambition. They wanted to promote themselves. Ladies, we see this in our day and age. Just turn on the televangelist. You'll see it. This is the envious attitude of the heart and mind that causes us to feel sorrow when someone else excels in some manner. We don't like it. It's an evil jealousy. In fact, from these words, it appears the bitter zeal they possessed manifested itself by wanting to get ahead of others which led them to boastful claims of superiority. I'm better than you. And we talked about this last week. Out of the same mouth, what? Proceeds blessing and cursing. Hey, you know, I bless God and he's great, but I look at you and who are you? That's what James is saying. Don't think that that's godly wisdom. That is not godly wisdom. In fact, this term self-seeking comes from a word that describes in New Testament times a person that would go out in that day, what they would do, they would go out and work for the day and they would get money just for the day. They didn't, you know, get paid at the 15th and the 30th of the month. But this self-seeking has an idea of a man or a woman who goes out to the field and all they're thinking about as they're going out to get that, <clears throat> do that work is the money that they're going to get for their personal gain. Not how they're going to feed their family or bless someone else. It's self-seeking, selfish, self-willed contentious ladies if the motive in your heart is generated from bitter envy and self-seeking notice what james says don't boast don't lie against the truth stop boasting stop boasting stop standing up and looking down at others with some smug satisfaction and saying you know i've arrived too bad about you in fact paul tells us about the dangers of boasting One of my dad's favorite verses, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies, that's where our boasting should be. James says, if you've got bitter envy and strife in your heart, don't boast. Don't be arrogant. Why? You know what you're proving? You're proving, according to this verse, you're false to the truth. You're false to the truth of the gospel. Bitter envy, strife, self-seeking is contrary to the true wisdom of God, and it is usually a companion of a liar, somebody who lies. Ladies, be careful. Any person, and especially a teacher, who is acting in an evil way and yet claims to be wise is lying. They're lying against the truth. If a teacher is dominated by jealousy, selfish ambition, she is instructed to stop boasting, stop lying against the truth, James says. Regardless of the wisdom they think they possess, they don't have it. Don't kid yourself, James says. Don't kid yourself. Attitude, speech, and works that are accompanied by bitterness and jealousy are not indicative of the kind of wisdom that comes from above. Isn't that what he says in verse 15? This wisdom, what? Does not come from above. 
quit kidding yourself. It's earthly. It's sensual. It's demonical. Ladies' wisdom that is not from above has three characteristics. It's earthly, sensual, demonical. You know, I found very interesting. These are the believer's three enemies. Have you thought about that? The world, the flesh, the devil. Earthly, sensual, demonical. Let's talk about this. The first characteristic of ungodly wisdom, it's earthly. You know what it means? It has its origin in the world. It's exhibited by men who are governed by worldly principles. We're seeing that a lot. Just go home tonight and turn on the national news. You can find out what worldly wisdom is. Earthly wisdom is temporal. It's mundane. It's concerned with the physical. It's a person who could care less about the kingdom of God and expanding it. Their days are filled with worldly things. They never think about God. They never invest in the life of others. In fact, Paul talks about the enemies of the cross of Christ who set their mind on what? Earthly things. Earthly things. They want to be entertained. They want self-glory. They go to work so they can earn money, so they can buy more stuff. They don't think about Christ in his kingdom. Ladies, if you have worldly wisdom, don't kid yourself. John says that we're not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man, if any woman loves the world, the love of the Father is not in her. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, it is not of the Father. It's of what? The world. And the world is passing away, the lust of it. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Ladies, if your days are consumed with worldly pursuits, I would examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. I really would. That's worldly wisdom. Well, the second characteristic of worldly wisdom, it's sensual. It means it's from the flesh. This wisdom is natural. It springs from mental and emotional impulses. It's, it's interesting. We get our English word psychology from this world, from this word. Its origin is from the sensual. It's opposed to the intellectual and the moral nature. In fact, it's interesting. The people that I know that are grounded in psychology are just like this. Mark my word, they're emotional, they're unstable. They're unstable. Sensual wisdom is not godly wisdom. And I didn't say that. God said that through James. Now, the third characteristic of this ungodly wisdom, it's demonical, James says, or devilish. In other words, evil spirits rather than the Holy Spirit promote this kind of wisdom. You know the first example we have of this? Satan. Remember in the Garden of Eden with Eve? You know what he said? <laughs> hey, come on, come on, Eve, eat this fruit. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Come on. Was that godly wisdom? It was demonical. You know, in 1 Timothy 4, 1, where you see a warning about in the last times, do you know there's going to be doctrines of demons? You know what they are? In the last day, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to doctrines of demons. You know what they are? Forbidding to marry. And commanding to abstain from certain foods which God has created to be what? Received with thanksgiving. If someone tells you, don't eat this, don't eat that, that's a doctrine of a demon, Paul says. It's a doctrine of demon. The Apostle Apostle John says other spirits besides the Holy Spirit can energize and inspire preachers and teachers. Did you know that? 1 John 4, 1-6. 
Lady Satan, the spirit of the Antichrist, is behind ungodly wisdom, and he's always trying to convince us that his tactics are right. Beware, beware. Well, James has shown us the origin and gives us a description of ungodly wisdom, and then he warns in verse 16, notice what he says, For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You might say, Susan, how can I know when I'm following the world's wisdom? Here you go. There will be confusion. There will be every evil work. What's confusion? Well, it means disorder, turmoil. In fact, it's a, re- it's a word related that we've already had in James. It's a person who is unstable in all of their ways, double-minded. You know, it's that woman that she's one way this way, and then the next day she's this way. She's unstable. Instead of promoting harmony, this wisdom causes disruption, unruliness, confusion, arguments, personal tensions, frustrations. That's earthly wisdom. That's not godly wisdom. Paul says God is not the author of confusion. He's not. Ladies, if you are going around and you're setting fires everywhere you go, and everywhere you go you leave a path of confusion and disharmony. That's not godly wisdom. Not godly wisdom. James says where envy and self-seeking exist, there is every evil work, which means every evil practice. In the Greek, it actually means it's good for nothing. Good for nothing. Every evil action you can think of exists alongside of false wisdom. Ladies, that wisdom is worthless. It's worthless. James says, although in man's sight it might seem great and worthy, it's not. Ladies, it should be very clear from these verses, human wisdom unaided by the Holy Spirit is not a safe guide to spiritual truth. If left to itself, human wisdom becomes tainted with sinful jealousy, personal ambition, and it will lead to all kinds of evil. That's what James says. And I think the fact that it's happening in the church of Jesus Christ is very alarming to me. It's very alarming. I wish I had time. I don't. And because I'm supposed to be bridling my tongue, I can't. But I could tell you stories of places I've been that would make your hair grayer than mine. I encourage you as sisters in the faith, please measure everything that you hear from a pulpit by this book. Measure it. Make sure. Go home and check it out. If you're receiving counseling from a Christian counselor, make sure that what they're saying is backed up with this book in its context. There's a lot of Christian counseling out there that's not Christian. If you read a lot, read a lot of books, be careful. Some of the things that you pick up at Mardell's that say Christian are no more Christian than Sports Illustrated magazine. Be careful. Please be careful. Please seek God's wisdom. What are the characteristics of demonic wisdom? It's earthly, it's sensual, demonical, and it leads to envy, strife, pride, confusion, and all evil. So you might say, wow, okay, Susan, I don't want that. I want the divine stuff. Okay, let me give it to you. How can you know that you have godly wisdom? Well, let's look at the characteristics of divine wisdom. But... The wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. Ladies, this wisdom that is from above has a heavenly origin, and it's from God. 
And by the way, you don't need a formal education to get this wisdom, okay? You don't have to have, you know, go to TCC to get wisdom. I want to give you the seven characteristics of wisdom and define them. The first one, it's pure. It's pure. Do you know why pure is number one on the list? Because it's the heading to the rest. Out of purity falls what? Peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated. It's like the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Out of love falls what? Love comes joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Without love, you can't have any of those. Without purity, you can't have any of this list. Ladies, the first effect that godly wisdom has on the mind is to make it pure. Do you know purity reflects whether you not whether or not you are truly regenerated? Lord, who shall abide in your hill? Who shall abide in your holy ta- tabernacle? He who has what? Has a clean heart. Clean heart. In fact, the Greek word for pure means to be innocent, free from blame. Christ was pure, so isn't it obvious that his children would be pure? Ladies, if someone gives you advice... <clears throat> and it is not pure, it's not from God. For example, somebody might come up to you and say, you know what, you just got to go see this movie. This is the best movie I've ever seen, and you're just going to love it. I used to have a friend, and she would tell me that. So, you know, for a while I took her advice until I realized it wasn't good advice. So I come home and say, Doug, we got to go see this movie. And we go, and we're like, What are we doing here? This is awful. It's impure. It's immoral. Ladies, this if someone does that, their recommendation should call into question their purity. Secondly, wisdom from above is peaceable. It's peaceable. This means it will cause you to live in peace with others. It doesn't cause strife. It will tend to settle disputes rather than provoke them. But ladies, it does not seek peace at the expense of purity. Never, never, never compromise with sin to maintain peace with God. I like what John MacArthur says. Godly wisdom and purity and peace go hand in hand. Peace is wisdom in action and is never established at the expense of righteousness. Some people equate peace with evading issues, but true peace can be very confrontational. You know, it's just like in your home. Your kids are running wild, and they're just all up to all kinds of no good. And you know, the best thing you can do is go whoop them. And then, you know, you got some peace, right? Sometimes peace is confrontational. Jesus says, don't think I came to bring peace on the earth. I came to bring a sword. Jesus knew sinful people have to be confronted before they can experience peace. But a person who's wise doesn't go around stirring up strife and discord. Ladies, that's one of the things that God hates. One of the seven things that is an abomination to him is those who sow discord among the brethren. Well, the third definition of peace, or excuse me, the third characteristic of godly wisdom is gentle. It's gentle. This means it's mild, it's fair, it's reasonable. In fact, the Greek word here means moderation without compromise. This is a person who's considerate of others. They make allowances for their feelings, their weaknesses, their needs. In fact, it's interesting we get our English word gentleman from this word. Gentleman. Well, the fourth characteristic of godly wisdom, it's willing to yield. Willing to yield. Again, this word does not occur anywhere else in the New Testament. It means 
to be easily persuaded, submissive, not stubborn. Willing to yield does not mean easily persuaded to do the wrong things, okay? But you're not stiff. Have you ever met a person that just will not change their views? They're just unyielding. They're unwilling. A person that is willing to yield will listen to the ideas of others, and they'll be willing to change if necessary. They don't have to have the last word about everything. Number five, the fifth characteristic of godly wisdom, it's full of mercy and good fruits. Full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy is a characteristic of someone who shows compassion to others. A good example would be the Good Samaritan. Remember when the man was beaten and and robbed and left for dead and the Levite passed by and the priest passed by and what did the Good Samaritan do? Came by and took care of him, poured oil into his wounds, left some money for the innkeeper. That's mercy. He could receive nothing back from doing that, right? He showed mercy. Good fruits here just means kind actions, kind actions. Well, the sixth characteristic of godly wisdom is without partiality. It's without partiality. What does that mean? This is a person who's unwavering, undivided. There is no indecision about their commitment to God. They have a clear discernment of God's will, and they're confident of the actions and the decisions they make. There's no wavering. They don't waver from the truth. You know, one day they think, yeah, well, you know, I think God is, you know, he's holy and sovereign. Well, no, I'm just, I just, you know, they're just, that's not a person that is without partiality. Well, the seventh characteristic of godly wisdom is without hypocrisy. What does that mean? This means there's no mask, no disguise, no lying, no deceit, no pretense. In fact, in ancient Greeks, it was, a hypocrite was one who played the part of an actor, right? So the term has come to describe one who acts in public differently than they act in private. Or they say, you know, do what I say, but not what I do. That's a hypocrite. This is a person who pretends so they can make a good impression with others. Ladies, wisdom that is from above is without hypocrisy. What you see is what you get, right? Ladies, these seven characteristics of wisdom, purity, peace, gentleness, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without without hypocrisy are from God. Why? Because they're consistent with his character, right? You look at every one of these seven things, God is every one of these things. They are a part of his character. Every one of them. Well, James then closes his discourse on wisdom in verse 18, and notice what he says, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know what he's saying? This fruit, this fruit of righteousness characterizes the godly life. It is the fruit that is sown in a godly life. In fact, Isaiah says the work of righteousness will be peace and the effects of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Notice what James says. These fruits of righteousness are sown in what? Peace. You know what the picture here is? It's a farmer. He's going out to sow seed. Now, ladies, I'm not a farmer and I don't even like to garden, but I do know enough about watching farmers and I've seen enough and been driving enough to see. They never sow their seed in the midst of, of a day like this, right? It's peaceful. 
Why? Because they know that's how they will reap what? The benefit, a fruit of righteousness. That's what James is saying here. As you exercise these seven characteristics, you do it what? In a sense of peace. You sow them in peace, which yields a fruit of righteousness. Righteousness cannot effectively be sown where there is strife and turbulence. Impossible. Go try it tonight at home. It won't work. In other words, these men, these women, they're engaged everywhere in scattering blessed seeds of peace, and the result will be a glorious harvest. These people are peaceful, and they promote peace. They're not concerned with self-promotion. Their motive is love. It's not envy, and it's not jealousy. They're motivated by heavenly wisdom, and they bring men and women into peaceful relationships. And then what? Righteousness is the crop that's reaped. So what are the characteristics of divine wisdom? Pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and it results in fruit sown in peace. Ladies, godly wisdom is another test to determine if you're in the faith. That's what James is, right? With the master in the school of tested faith. What you reap is what you sow. Some of you this evening are reaping havoc by the ungodly wisdom that you have sown. Others of you are reaping a righteous harvest by the godly wisdom you have sown. What about you? I want you to think very carefully. You don't have to answer out loud about the following questions. Do the words that you communicate come from above? Do they show godly wisdom? In other words, when you give advice to other people, can you back it up with this book right here? Is your advice backed up by a holy, upright life? The wisdom you pass on to others, is it pure? For example, someone might say, you know, well, I don't think you should get married just yet. Why don't you live together first and just see if it works out? The Bible says what? Flee fornication. Flee. That's godly wisdom. Is the wisdom you pass on peaceable? Does your advice bring peace? If you know someone who is in sin, do you avoid confronting him or her because you don't want to rock the boat? True peace confronts sin. Is the wisdom you give gentle, or do you come in like a bull in a china shop with others? Are you gentle when you give advice? Is the wisdom you give willing to yield? Will you listen to someone else's ideas for change, especially if they have a better biblical idea? Is the wisdom you pass on full of mercy and good fruits? When you give advice, do you back it up with acts of compassion? Or you just dish it out and then, you know, say, you know, be warm, be filled, see you next week. Do you seek to meet the needs of those you advise? Is your wisdom without partiality? In other words, do you vacillate on your decisions for yourself, for your kids? Or are you firm in your convictions? This is what I believe and this is what we're going to do. Is your wisdom without hypocrisy? In other words, do you follow your own advice? Or are you hypocritical saying, do what I say, not what I do? Some of you as moms do that. 
In thinking about earthly wisdom, would you say when you give advice to others that it causes envy, strife, confusion, and every evil thing? Do you leave paths of confusion and strife everywhere you go with every life you touch? Or do you leave paths of peace and wisdom everywhere you go and with every life you touch? I pray God will help us to be women who are wise. And let me pray just briefly. And um, we have 25 minutes and we will, um, I think I'll just stay up here. And if you need to go to the restroom or you want to go get something to eat, go do that. And um, then we're just going to start in on the discussion so we can be out of here by 15, okay? Lord, I do want to pray for these women. And um, Lord, I would ask that um, you would take these lessons that we've had, the two that we've had on the tongue and now this one on wisdom, that really they are married together. It's a very rich chapter. I know we've taken three fast weeks to go through it, but there's so much. And I pray the women would take the time to go back through their notes, read that, that chapter again, Lord, really contemplating, meditating on it. And Lord, I pray that they would make the necessary changes in their life so that their uh, words would be spoken uh, in a way that pleases you. And Lord, that they would realize that their speech reflects something far bigger. It affects whether or not they're truly um, showing godly wisdom or worldly wisdom. Lord, I pray that we would be so discerning as women that we would not take advice or seek advice from others who do not have an upright, holy life. And Lord, that we would be... um, Uh, Just very cautious of that because we live in a world where Satan seems to be gaining more and more control, even in the Christian world. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be very careful about that. Give us discernment, I pray. And I ask this in your name. Amen.